0: Hey, welcome to another Axe Church podcast. Glad you're with us today, and we are um, here to talk some more about uh, disc golf. Right. Absolutely,
1: <laughs> absolutely. I've been playing a lot of disc golf lately, um, and Hunter's making fun of me for
0: it. But it's I'm not making fun of you for playing disc golf. I'm making fun of you for. Watching videos of people playing disc golf. I was, while he was
1: setting up, <laughs> I was watching a video of the best disc golf shots from 2018, which he found amusing. I, I'm sure that, uh, you know, you probably I mean, do too, but I
0: guess I would rather watch disc golf than real golf. Mm. Personally, I love
1: watching real golf. It's a great way to take a nap on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> <clears throat> I haven't done it in the long, I don't have cable. I haven't had cable for many years. And when I did, though, I'd watch, you know, golf on Sunday after church and it would help me fall asleep and get a nice, Cause it's just so calm.
0: I don't need help on Sunday afternoons. That's true. I don't either. Um, I wasn't I actually, since getting this job, I've never actually taken a nap on a Sunday afternoon, which is crazy. I, I'm I am so tired on Sundays. I have laid down and gotten close to falling asleep, but I've never actually like taken a nap where I fell asleep. So yeah, you
1: should see a doctor. Um,
0: <laughs> if I did, I would just, I feel terrible after naps.
1: Oh really? I, I think I do. them am wonderful. I,
0: yeah. You're doing it wrong. Yeah, I feel wonderful
1: after a nap. I, I, Usually, yet, I don't. It's not always right after church. Sometimes it's not till later in the afternoon. Right. But, and Sundays, almost certainly. I mean, as a matter of fact, this last night, I think it was like seven o'clock before I got to uh, take a nap, which people are like seven o'clock. But yeah. Um, Why don't you just go to bed at that point? Uh, <laughs> I couldn't. I mean, if I went to bed at seven o'clock, I'd you'd wake, wake up at too. Yeah, yeah. I'd wake up. And, anyway. I'm sure this is very exciting for the listeners um <laughs> today uh we are going to be talking about some stuff. I I would highly recommend uh the sermon from this past week and so the date today is what is it the 20, 20th 20th, 20th. <laughs> um it's the 20th of Today is February 20th February, um which means that the sermon was from February 17th or yeah, 18th yeah. or something like that. Um and it's called love, same-sex attraction, and gender identity. And so if you want to search for that, I mean, you may be listening to this podcast two years from now. So, um, But if you want to connect with this podcast, you probably want to have heard the sermon um, that that was done last Sunday. And so, you you can find that.
0: um, If you're listening to our new Acts Church sermon podcast, and if you're not, you should go um, find us on iTunes or Stitcher or uh, whatever Android users SoundCloud use, SoundCloud or well, no, no it's not SoundCloud. not SoundCloud. SoundCloud they're not, weird about the way yeah, they don't stuff. host it. If you are listening to this on SoundCloud, um, we have a new channel. We will eventually discontinue this um, releasing on SoundCloud. Um, for now, you're okay, but eventually, um, you'll want to find it on iTunes or um, you can download an app called Stitcher. Or there's, there's a lot if you just search in whatever um, app. You can go store. to our
1: website too, right? And you can yeah, it's on our website. There. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, go to our website, go to the messages uh, page, and you'll be able to find it under the Rooted series. Yeah. Um, from you can
1: always find this stuff on the website, axcamus.org. Yep. And so we have we have this podcast channel. We have a channel that we put the messages on. And then we have another channel that's done by one of our staff members, Ron Hagelgans, who... Um, puts the sermons, cuts them into uh, more bite-sized pieces, and has some commentary that he does. And like twenty-five minutes, thirty minutes—really, really more uh, what you would hear on the radio. Mm-hmm. Like if you were listening to a radio sermon, that's uh, he did that for about thirty years for um, for Bill Ritchie over at Crossroads and um, their, their radio program. And so he's he's very good at it. If you like that kind of something, that's kind of perfect timing for your commute. Um, those are mm-hmm. those are available too, and that's just. Uh, messages that are that are cut so you'll get you know a message that i preach that might be 40 60 minutes uh will be in you know two or three uh pieces so anyway you can check that out that's called contemplate Mm -hmm. um and you can go to the website also for that or you will yeah yeah the
0: it's right now it's so new that it's still coming through on the uh on the podcasting apps but i think it's on itunes now i think it's coming to stitcher soon I'm trying to get it on Google Play or Google Podcast app. If you use Google, you know what it's called. Um, so, yeah. So if you're listening to this
1: today, February 20th, yes. um, then you uh, may not be able to find it, or you can find it on iTunes at least. Yeah, um, I think so. If you are listening later, they'll almost certainly be able to find that. So, um, you know, subscribe to those. Uh, those are all uh, good good stuff to to connect if you like to to listen, you have content to listen to in your car and, you know, while you're doing chores, I like to listen when I'm, uh, you know, mowing the lawn or doing the dishes or folding laundry or doing things that don't require a lot of my brain power is a good time for me to uh, listen to a book or listen to a podcast or, or whatever. So that's that. Um, But I would definitely recommend that you go listen to that sermon uh, before you connect with what we're doing today. Not because you have to, I mean, you can connect to this by itself, but um, I think it will help you give you some context for um, where we stand on these issues, and of course, we're I promised in, in past podcasts, one or two podcasts uh, in the past, I've talked about that we are going to be talking, uh, you know, kind of finishing out our uh, kind of section where we've talked a lot about dualism, mind-body dualism, and the the two forms that uh, it takes, or the two things that it causes uh, that we're going to talk about today are same-sex attraction um, uh, and and gender identity issues. And so once again, we're talking about separating those who believe that the mind and the body are separate um, and not an integrated whole. It's easier for them to say, I can live a lifestyle that is about what's in my mind or my feelings, even though that's disconnected from my body. So the simple way to look at that for uh, homosexuality or same-sex attraction is, my body was clearly designed to connect to the opposite sex. If you're a woman or you're a man, it doesn't take much to figure out uh, that you fit together with the opposite sex sexually, um, that that the opposite sex generally uh, were, were complementary even emotionally and in all these other ways, so that um, you know, this, this is how we produce children, all of these kinds of things. And so um, if I am having same-sex attractions, then what, what I have to say is that if I want to identify as gay, uh, bisexual, and so on, then I have, to, I have to say that my body doesn't dictate kind of, quote-unquote, who I am, and I'm going to find my identity, rather, in my feelings, even though they go against my body. And then for uh, transgenders and gender identity issues, it's the same thing. My gender is not controlled by my body, the body that I have, Rather, the me that's really me is something outside of my body, and I can actually change my body um, through surgery, through uh, drugs, through different things like that, uh, so that it actually matches what's in my mind or my feelings. So this is like the the furthest uh, that we take sort of mind-body dualism is when we start to say, I'm going to separate my body literally from my mind. So what I want to do today is there's an article and I talk about it some in, in the message, um, this past Sunday, but I want to kind of walk through it. And, and this is, this is a woman named Jean Lloyd and Jean Lloyd was, um, you know, she struggled with her sexual orientation or, um, her attraction, same sex attractions, uh, for the time she was young. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to start reading a little bit. That might give you a little background. It says over 30 years have passed since same sex attraction rushed up from deep within my 12 year old frame. This attraction was unbidden and unwanted, yet simultaneously forceful and compelling. Uh, this is from an article, December 10th, 2014, Seven Things I Wish My Pastor Knew About My Homosexuality. Um, and that's the, those are the first lines of the article. Uh, you know, one of the things that I find before we kind of dive deeper into what she has to say, because there's, there's, there's more going on here, um, the way that she describes say, her same sex attraction, that it was A, deep within her 12-year-old frame. In other words, it was something more than passing, um, that it was unbidden. She wasn't asking for it, and it was unwanted. That When it it came, she didn't want it, Um, and yet it was compelling and forceful. And so those who want to sort of look at same-sex attraction as though it was something that people choose like they choose flavors of ice cream at 31 Flavors, like it's just kind of this passing thing like, oh yeah, I think I would prefer this. That's not the narrative. That's not the story that I think a lot of people who uh, struggle with same-sex attraction would tell. It may be the story of some people and and more these days, and we can talk about that in a second, Hunter, but um, I think that for a lot of people, this description here, um, that it's real, these are real attractions, that, that you didn't ask for them, and that when they're there, you don't want them, um, and yet you find them to be forceful and compelling. They really are Like any kind of attractions, they're real, and so um, in one way, every temptation towards sin has has these aspects. Although for some temptations, the unbidden and unwanted part aren't necessarily there, especially for temptations that either you know you can get away with, or that uh, your culture, whatever it is, your family culture, the culture, and where you with your friends and so on. If it's you know, let's just say all your friends. Shoplift, right? <clears throat> I mean, there certainly there are cultures where I mean you've seen Oliver Twist, right? There are cultures where no, they weren't shoplift, they were pickpockets. You've oh, pickpockets. Right. Oliver Twist. I, I sing not a song, but, but, but I don't want to pay for it. Um. <laughs> so anyway, um, Oliver, come on, man, you got to watch some musicals. Get some, get some class. I yeah, uh, have very little musical experience. You got to, you got to watch the musicals. Anyway, um, so if you're in a in a group of people who pickpocketing is what they do, then your, uh, temptation or your attraction to pickpocketing may not be unwanted because it actually fits with the culture that you're in. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, at the time that, that Jean Lloyd would have been, um, experienced this would have been mid eighties, I believe. Uh, you know, you're talking about a time when society was still very much saying that same sex, uh, sexual behavior is immoral, is, is unnatural, is not okay. And so, these are things that would have been unwanted. She wouldn't have wanted to be separated in that way. Now, um, because of the way we, that culture has moved, it's actually celebrated. And so, I think that there's a difference where people who are having these kinds of attractions these days might actually they might actually be bidden
0: mm-hmm. and
1: wanted, um, which is a, a really a different uh, uh, a different set of issues to work through. I think. Mm. Uh, for people, and I'm going to let you talk on this because you're younger than me. I grew up, you know, I'm, I'm more in the culture that Gene Lloyd would have been in because mm-hmm. um, I'm a little older, but you're not. And so, uh, you know, what do you, th- you you went to high school, um, of course, you went to a Bible college, so that probably was a little different, but you went to high school, at a public high school. Um, did you feel like a lot more, let me give you a, for instance, when I was in high school, almost no one ever talked about. Um, being gay or same sex attraction or trans, or, or, you know, mm-hmm. transgenderism—nothing like that would just didn't exist. Like, mm-hmm. especially, no guy would admit to to that type of thing while we were in high school. Occasionally, there might be a girl that would that would say they were bisexual or or that type of a thing, but that was or, or lesbian. There was some of that, but basically, no guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe a couple girls that would come out as gay or something like that. What was your experience? Was it much more than that, or? Um,
0: yeah, it was definitely. I think from the time I was in kindergarten to the time I was in high school, I think there was a big cultural sh- cultural shift in that amount of time. Um, and so, yeah, by the time I was in high school, um, I don't know that people really made a big deal out of. Uh, I mean, people did make a big deal out of it, um, but like the people who were um same sex attracted. I don't think they made a big deal out of it. Usually it was other people who made a big deal out of it. Because it was still um pretty stigmatized. Um I mean I think I think okay. even though it's so celebrated in culture, um, I think there's still a lot of stigma with with the general population. So maybe in Spokane, because certainly not here. Um in, in Camas, I mean we know But I mean if you go talk to a to a class full of high school boys, there's probably still some stigma. I
1: think that you would probably find plenty of high school boys who would say Ooh, yucky or whatever the right, classic, yeah. you know, is, but mm-hmm. among, among the culture itself, at least right, here. Right. Okay. So you're, you're talking about Eastern Washington, which I think is a little, at least here, the number of kids who identify themselves as a gender other than male or female or the opposite gender of what they are. Mm-hmm. And the number of kids who say they're either gay or bisexual, right? Right. Gay, lesbian bisexual is you can't compare, the that when I was in school to now. Yeah. And when they do that there's a there's a lot of uh almost cel- celebratory um yeah. reaction by those certainly those in power mm-hmm. um teachers, administrators and so on and I right. would say by a lot of a lot of peers as well as where mm-hmm. that just would not have been the case when I was young. Right. Um and certainly not for Gene Lloyd and so I as we walk through this I'm I'm keeping in context, you know, Gene's story which that's not the way it would have been. And, and depending on where you live and where you're listening to this, and some people listen in other countries and so on, obviously every culture is different about the way they're dealing with this. Yeah, um, I just think it's a lot different. For instance, if someone had come, um, quote unquote, come out and said as, as a male and said, I'm gay, mm-hmm. um, they would, what would have been the um, experience that they would have? Well, I mean, would there have been plenty of people who would be fine with that or even celebrate oh, yeah. that? Or?
0: I mean, yeah, there, it the, the negative effects would be um, among high school boys who uh, wanted to... Who, they were, they were going to pick on that person anyway, probably. Right, right. Um, and so that was really the only negative effect. But as far as faculty and um, the student body at large, they were very supportive um, yeah. of of that. And um, I'm trying to remember if it was encouraged necessarily or if it was just... Um, accepted, but, um, definitely when you graduated
1: what? Six? 2013. Okay. So about six years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, we've, I mean, a lot's changed even in that amount of time. Yeah. Um, and no, so, yeah. and so I, you know, I don't know, but I think that, you know, one side, and I want to be clear, I think it's good that people don't have to be afraid of physical harm and yeah. things like that uh you know that they don't have to be that they're or, not they don't have to be as afraid of bullying and those kinds of I think that's horrible that that's the way it was I right. think it's horrible that the reason people didn't share their struggles and so on was for fear for themselves wh- whether that was socially or physically mm-hmm. um, afraid of that type of thing and there's definitely uh a, a fear that was present back in the day um you know people would say homophobia um right. there was definitely a fear of um, people who had same sex attractions and, and so on back then. And so I don't know, uh, you know, how Spokane is versus Chemist versus, you know, uh, people, you know, Portland versus whatever. But I am glad that people don't have to be afraid, um, to, to share these things at the same time. And as I shared, again, if you listen to the message, um, the response, the the proper response isn't to swing the pendulum to the other side and say, um, we not only don't want you to be afraid, but we want to actually celebrate and encourage you to to uh, fulfill your uh, sexual desires um, for people of your of your own gender and so on. There's 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 a spot between there where you say, "I love you, I care about you, I'll protect you, you're safe here. We can walk 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 through these struggles and so on," and saying, "Oh, that's great, well, you know, congratulations, and let me encourage you and and." And so on or even what some people are apparently doing I've never been in a classroom where this has happened because you know I'm old but um, it's more like you should try everything and see what you like um, you know explore what your sexual identity is and I think um, you know all of that all of that is dangerous and so let's let's walk through um, because Jean Lloyd is going to talk about it uh, in terms of, of her faith in Christ and she says as a Christian The conflict between my sexuality and my faith would become the deepest and most intense of my life. Now, in my 40s, I've gone from being closeted to openly lesbian to celibate to heterosexually married. The fact that I need to qualify my marital union as a heterosexual one reveals how much the cultural landscape has changed in that time, just as much as my own personal landscape has, though in different ways. Um, So, you know, she's, she's obviously, at, for Jean, she's seen it go from what we've described to now celebration to now uh, uh, legalization of, uh, quote-unquote, same-sex marriage. Um, and I put it in quotes for a reason, and I know that some people become frustrated by that and so on, but I don't think of marriage as something that we, as a society, um, or as a culture define. I think of marriage as something that was instituted in Genesis 2 um, by God. And therefore, defined by God. Well, we don't get to we don't get to take words that mean something and change them to mean something else. And I know that that's offensive to some people, and that's not my intention. Um, I'm just speaking what I believe to be the truth, and that is that marriage means something. It means a man and a woman uh, for life, and so on. And so, and that and that wasn't that wasn't a definition that that our society came up with, and therefore not a definition that our society has the ability to change. So when we do change it. Um, we're, we're acting ultra vires, as they would say in Latin. I assume I don't know anyone who actually speaks Latin, um, but outside of the law, outside of our authority, outside of our jurisdiction, when we take words that, that God has said, this means this, and we say, no, 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 this means that, um, which is the nature of sin in general. Um, but she comes through and she says, uh, during my upbringing, and I, and I read this quote uh, on Sunday, during my upbringing, I heard a few fiery sermons on homosexuality. These days I hear declarations of love instead. They make me shout for joy. Amen. It always should have been so. At the same time, however, many pastors have begun accompanying this love with an eschewal of biblical sexual morality as oppressive, unreasonable, or unkind. Hence, loving homosexual persons also comes to entail affirming and encouraging them in same-sex sexual relationships and behaviors. Although I appreciate the desire to act in love, this isn't the genuine love that people like me need. Love me better than that. So Gene's coming in and saying, look, I used to hear these fiery sermons, basically people, you know, just railing against homosexuality. Um, You know, certainly we've all heard this and, and plenty of people who kind of do the, you know... Homosexuality is bad. They treat it like it's some special kind of sin or some special category of sin, and you know, as if as if the the men in their congregations who are addicted to pornography are doing something that's not quite as bad as people who struggle with same sex attractions, or the people who are gossiping, or or stealing, or cheating on their taxes, or doing whatever are doing something not as bad as homosexuality. So it gets this like extra fiery thing because the assumption is they're you know the sad assumption is I think that has been made is that there's no one in their congregation who actually struggles with this. So they're safe to sort of rail in like an us-them type of way, this whole culture war phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is something you've probably grown up with to some extent, The culture war being this like really us versus them. There's the people who are pro-choice, and they're those people. And there's the people who are uh, homosexual or pro-homosexual, and they're those people. Mm. Um, You know, and so in the church, you can kind of, you know, talk about oh, the culture is going to you know heck in a handbasket. And this is our Talk club, and this club. is us, and that's them, and and we're with Jesus, and they're with Satan, and the, you know this, this kind of like mentality. Obviously, there are gradations of it, uh, uh, but it's definitely an us them thing. Like there are certain kinds of sinners that are on the other side of this culture war, and we're fighting against them as if that's how it works, as if we're not fighting against you know uh, realities in the heavenly places and spiritual darknesses and Satan and demonic forces and things like that, and and sin in general and a broken world, but rather we're fighting against people who happen to be deceived and living in sin. And, and so I think that that sentence about fiery sermons, it, she's sort of encapsulating that, right? That mindset and and this whole like, culture war idea. And I understand the tendency to want to get Uh, focused on that or want to get uh, connected to sort of this culture war mentality, I get it. Like, um, we want to be tribal if we can. It makes us feel, I think, safer, and and it makes the world feel more predictable, and it gives us a side to take Mm -hmm. and things like that, but that is not Christ-following. Christ Following is not about taking sides and creating tribes. Um, the only tribe we have is as the body of Christ and the body of christ's mission and goal is to go in the world and make disciples right is to is to bring people in it's about bringing people in to the redemption, the grace the forgiveness the transformation that comes through the cross of Christ and his resurrection and so anything else uh, is is a broken way of looking at things. And so she says, now people talk about love, but what they do is instead of coming to the middle, if you think about like a clock, like a grandfather clock, if you have one of those, and it's got a pendulum that kind of goes back and forth, click, clock, click, clock, right? The pendulum was swung one way and there was like this hate and fiery sermons and retribution and, and, oh, the penalty of God will come on that, you know, that, that whole thing, right? Sweating preacher, you know, you, you kind of see the, the image that you, you have of that. And then and then she's saying, instead of that swinging back to, to a Christ-like view of it, it swung to the other side where, where people now say, instead of that, it's not only do we love people, but we're going to change, uh, we're going to eschew, uses the word. We're going we're to do away with biblical morality and what Christ says about sex. And instead say, that's, you know, we've redefined things. Now that's oppressive. What did she say? Uh, oppressive unreasonable and unkind. And therefore, we're going to celebrate not just uh, people that God wants to save, we're actually going to celebrate people's temptations and their sin and say that homosexual sexual practices and activities are good. Mm-hmm. So you've got you've got the church and mostly the 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 progressive side of the church, which tends to not hold a very high view of scripture. In other words, um, they sort of play fast and loose with the Bible, and and they're over here saying, "Hey, listen, it's not you know not only do we do we want to accept and love people into the church, we actually want to accept their practices." And so her point is, you got a pendulum swing that that missed the middle and went all the way to the other side. And she's saying, that's not, that's not genuine love. That's not what people like me need. Uh, so she continues, she says, uh, Thomas Aquinas scholar, Joseph, uh, Piper put it this way. Love is not synonymous with undifferentiated approval of everything the beloved person thinks and does in real life. It's a lot of $5 words there. Uh, uh basically love does not mean that you approve everything someone does. Uh, Nor is it the wish for the beloved to feel good always and in every situation and for him to be spared experiencing pain or grief in all circumstances. Mere kindness, which tolerates anything except the beloved's suffering, has nothing to do with real love. No lover can look on easily when he sees the one he loves preferring convenience to the good. And so what this guy's basically saying is, look, love doesn't mean Acceptance. That's not what it means. Uh, acceptance is something different than love. Uh, and yet the, the call is love somebody uh, to love somebody means to accept whatever they're doing. Uh, tell me, is that and I just want kind of your your unvarnished um, uh, opinion or, or experience. Have you come to uh, to buy into or has had you feel like it's been put on you that to love somebody means that you are uh, let, let me ask this differently that tolerance doesn't mean i tolerate you as a person and i and i and i'm willing to coexist you've seen that too um coexist mm-hmm. with you but rather that tolerance and love means that you accept somebody's behavior as morally equal to your own what, what's your what's your experience of that
0: yeah i think personally i'm already prone to be pretty non-confrontational, um, and pretty, um, I, I want, I just want to be kind to everybody regardless of whatever is happening. You know, <laughs> like I could see somebody walk into a store and, and rob the store. And then I could have a conversation with them and be like, Oh yeah, your life is really rough, huh? And you know, like, that's like the side that like I naturally want to take is I want to, mm-hmm. I want to be sympathetic. Um, And so, um, naturally I already have like a kind of a hard time, um, confronting somebody who, um, is living with sin in their life, either that they recognize or don't recognize. Um, but also culture has also definitely, um, it it hit me in, in public school, you know, um, that this is not this, there's nothing wrong with this. And to tell someone you think it's wrong is now you're in the wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, is something that definitely, uh, I, I felt an impact from, yeah.
1: Yeah. So I wrote a book years ago, um, 2012, 2013 called love speech. Um, man, if you're really that interested, you can find that on Amazon. Um, it's, you know, it's about some of these issues and I, and there's a chapter called this is who I am. And I walk through some of the, this basic, this issue that we just heard from that quote, um, I kind of give my take on it's very similar, which is, uh, love has nothing to do with accepting everything that somebody does. And this is really important because this is the pressure that's put on. It's a pressure. It's not like, it's not like, uh, you can believe it or not believe it. And there's two problems with it. The first one is this. If I say, uh, you can't tell me that I'm wrong, right? Hunter, you can't say to me, uh, you know, David, you're wrong about anything, right? Because, because basically we have some relativistic view of morality um, such that what's wrong is in our own minds. So I get to define what's right for me and you for you, right? This sort of your truth thing. The problem with that is it breaks down very quickly. So um, if I say, Hunter, you're wrong, um, or uh, let's do this. You tell me that I'm wrong to tell you that I'm, to tell you that you're wrong.
0: But David, that's not fair. to It's wrong of you to call me Wrong. Now, if you don't see,
1: uh, as a listener here, like the automatic problem with that, um, let me help you with it. Um, the thing is, is that the person is saying that it's wrong to call people wrong, but he's doing so by calling somebody wrong. Um, and so you have undone your argument in the statement, right? So as Hunter says, hey, it's, it's wrong for you to call me wrong. He's literally calling me wrong and saying that calling people wrong is wrong. So there's a problem, mm-hmm. fundamental problem, um, with that mindset, which is why relativism can't be broken halfway down. It just doesn't work. Uh, moral relativism, the idea that you, what's right for you is what's right for you. And what's right for me is what's right for me. It's, it's incomprehensible. It doesn't make sense. It's not true. It can't be true. Um, and so you have that problem, right? But then the next thing is it's wrong for you. It's, it's, it's connected to a moral relativism. But it's, it's, it's wrong for you to not accept people. And to accept people means to accept their lifestyles and their ideas as morally equivalent to your own, as though every idea that, uh, that starts in someone's mind or heart or however you want to define it, whatever kind of language you want to put around it, um, is equally valid. So that accepting someone means accepting their lifestyle. In this case, we're talking about whether it's transgenderism or same-sex or, or a, or a man who wants to live with his girlfriend, or a guy who's married but is committing adultery, or whatever it is. In every one of these cases, you have people, and I, and look, they're not all morally equivalent, which is to say, they're not all the same thing. All those things that I just mentioned. Some people get really worked up. Well, are you saying that that having the same sex desires the same thing as cheating on your wife? No, I'm not saying that. They're they're different things. Okay, as far as to God, all of them are rejections of, of God's law and rebellion but they're different things. Right. Nevertheless, every one of these people can say, look, you are, you don't love me. If you don't accept the fact that I want to live my life this way. Right. And that's just simply completely not true. And we don't do it in any other place. Um, mm-hmm. and people will come with things like, Oh, but I was born this way. You've certainly heard that, right? Oh yeah. Born this way. Like tell me, tell me when you first heard that, what your response to that was, you know, and so on.
0: Uh, yeah, that, I mean it, it was kind of a bit of a stumper for high school me. You know, I was kind of like, well, shoot. high school hunter. Yeah,
1: <laughs> we'll just call H H. That's high school hunter. Right, H uh, S H.
0: Yeah, H S H. Anyway, uh, it was tough for me to kind of go. Well, yeah. Then how? Who am I to? How, how, well, well, actually, what it, what it came down to was okay. Then how can I reconcile that God says that this is wrong, and also believe that God created that person? Mm-hmm. So wh- how can I say that God is good, God has said that homosexuality is wrong, but God created this person with homosexual desires naturally mm-hmm. from birth. Mm-hmm.
1: So, I, and, and I like the way you put that up, because I think that the reason that this argument has had some effect is because on first blush, when it first hits you, yeah. what the person's saying is, God created me this way, therefore, whatever I do mm-hmm. is okay. Right. Now let's just take all the emotion out of that statement and just let's walk through it logically. Okay. Philosophically. Let's mm-hmm. use the mind that God gave us. Um, let me start with a couple of examples. Uh, they have found, uh, first of all, the evidence that, that homosexuality is biologically hardwired is, is weak. Okay. Um, they've done the twin studies, nor, they take identical twins, right? So, to figure out what's biologically hardwired. And they've actually found that there's a lot of things that aren't really necessarily biologically hardwired. They have a way higher incidence of occurring within twins than homosexuality and does not have a hundred percent incidence, which would be necessary um, to say it's biologically hardwired. So there's no question that there are. And of course, the other problem that you have with twin studies, in my opinion, is that unless you have a hundred percent incidence, which would suggest a biological um, uh, thing, usually twins grow up in the same home. And Mm -hmm. so they're and so the external uh, is so similar. So if you have two twin boys that grow up in the same home in the same environment with mostly the same experiences, which you've been around twins. That's kind of what happens. Um, the fact that they would both have similar personalities, uh, or similar, you know, whatever would not be uncommon. Okay. So, so that's a different issue, but whether, even if it was biologically driven, in other words, uh, you have, you have, uh, certain temptations that are biological. We have that and other mm-hmm. things where we know that they're biologically driven. For instance, alcoholism, mm-hmm. um, problems with anger, mm-hmm. right? A uh, tendency towards uh, being anti-social, uh, uh, right. tendency towards committing crimes, things like that. We've found that these things actually are, in many cases, uh, driven biologically. In other words, it's a temptation that you might not have had if you didn't have that particular genetic marker. Right. And nevertheless... None of us think that that's an excuse for living that lifestyle, or, or unless you do.
0: Is oh, it? No, yeah, no. I'm, when I'm,
1: when an alcoholic says to you, um, "I was biologically hardwired to have this temptation," are you, is your response to that? Well, then you should do it, right? Then yeah. it's good.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: No, it's not. We don't do that with anything. We've known long before anyone made the "I was born that way" argument for same sex attraction. We knew already the biological hardwiring for all kinds of things that we consider to be wrong morally wrong and our response has always been or should have always been and usually has been compassion get the get the help that you need but fight it right fight against those things that are unnatural because we recognize we live in a fallen world there are people born without arms there are people mm-hmm. born without legs there are people born uh, blind there are people born with all kinds of problems and and Christ is like hey was this does this guy have this issue because his parents sinned or because he sinned or what and he's like no you know, that's, the, that, that's not the point, right? In this mm-hmm. case, he, he's born so that God can be glorified in this. But, but the thing is, Jesus was clear. Look, you live in a fallen world. You live in a fallen world. Bad things happen because the world is fallen, and all of us have our things to deal with, whatever they are. Um, and, and the fact that something would be biologically driven... Which in this case, again, the proof is not clear, but I don't even get involved in that argument. Like when people, oh, I was born, that's so why I was not born. Well, let me tell you what I was born with. I was born with a hundred different things that I'm tempted towards mm-hmm. that that seem to be, whether they're inborn or whether they were driven by my upbringing, I've got temptations. And then there's some that I don't have, right? So there are people who are like, I've never wanted to gamble in my life, but I really struggle um, with having a, too many drinks mm-hmm. um, or I've never wanted to do this, but I really want we're all all of our stuff is different and they tend to also correspond to good things in our lives um like i've never you know wanted to do this but i've also never been good at this over here or, or whatever there's all that that goes on okay there's a mm-hmm. whole thing c.s. lewis talks about that if you read his works um but that's that is not an indicator it's not an argument again i go i walk through that in in the book that i wrote um love speech but that's not an argument that is convincing or compelling um, although on first blush, it sounds very, uh, emotionally attractive. Like, how can I, if God made somebody this way, how can I say that it's wrong? Well, God didn't make them that way. Yeah. God designed them perfectly. The world is broken and they were born into a fallen world. And so if it's biologically driven, it's a brokenness.
0: Yeah. Right. Well, and not to bring up a whole different issue, but people say kind of the same thing about, uh, marijuana. They're like, well, that's a naturally growing it's from the
1: earth man yeah
0: and it's like well there's a lot of stuff from the earth
1: there is a lot of stuff from the earth
0: and not to say like
1: i i think you should go rub some poison ivy on yourself right, it's from yeah, the earth yeah, man yeah um i don't want to get into the marijuana exactly, debate yeah. right now we can we can do that at a different time um certainly that is one of the but arguments prove
0: that one argument
1: but saying that it's from the earth therefore it's good um there's a lot of things from the earth uh, you know that that are not good like magma um, uh, like magma <laughs> like tarantulas i don't let those crawl all over me just because they're from the earth but they do um, taste good i have you had one no actually oh, I, I know that they do but i've had, had them you. as an
0: option on a plate in front oh me. that's
1: no i'd leave i would leave the country if that happened. um <laughs> was that in cambodia delete. yeah yeah that's no good uh i love okay. i love our cambodian brothers and sisters but eating tarantulas that's nasty <laughs> i did eat it. i ate the crickets i would eat crickets but Big hairy spiders. Just yeah. there's nothing appetizing about that, right? Yeah. And I could be wrong. They could be delicious, but well, they probably are. I don't think so. <laughs> I, don't, I just can't imagine that
0: it's delicious. The crickets have like a nutty flavor to them. Yeah, I, kinda, I would eat crickets. I mean,
1: there's a lot of like sunflower crickets. seeds. I mean, look, uh, John the Baptist ate locusts and wild honey. So right. there's something about eating grasshoppers and stuff. Cool, but not. He didn't say tarantulas and wild. <laughs> honey. Um, I, I don't even think he would have eaten that. Um, where were we? Okay, you've got me all. Anyway, so, the the point is, is that. Arguments like that are not effective. And, and that's part of what this guy is saying, right? Uh, Joseph Piper that she's quoting is basically saying, listen, love has nothing to do with accepting everything. I've got family members, um, that I love. Okay. Let's just, everybody's got an uncle Bob, like it seems like, um, I think I have multiple Uncle, uncle Bobs, but, and, and I'm not referring to any of my Uncle Bobs here when I'm going to bring this up. Uh, I'm just using that as kind of a general. So the, your Uncle Bob or whoever, Uncle so-and-so, comes to Thanksgiving dinner, right? And Uncle Bob uh, is always causing trouble, right? He, he wants to fight about politics or he wants to do whatever. And, and Uncle Bob is just – he's just – you love Uncle Bob but you really don't love the fact that he seems to be so confrontational or uncle Bob always comes drunk or gets drunk at Thanksgiving dinner or whatever. And you love uncle Bob, but you don't like his alcoholism or uncle Bob always comes fill in the blank. Right. And you love uncle Bob, but you don't love the thing that he does. You accept him as a person, but you don't accept that thing about him. In fact, you want to see that thing change because you know, it's not good for him and the people around him. Mm -hmm. No one ever thought I don't love uncle Bob because I don't accept all of his all of the negative things that he does. No one ever thought that. And so, um, in the same way, this guy's saying, look, loving somebody, in fact, not only is it not accepting of everything. In fact, a true lover loves the beloved so much that, that he, that he desires or she desires to see that person change and grow. My wife is looking to see me grow. She's not satisfied with who I am right now. She wants to see Christ transform me. And if she was satisfied with who I am right now and didn't care anymore, she wouldn't love me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be very clear that 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 her love would have grown cold because and just same thing for our children. So we want to see them become who they are. Um we're not trying to control the 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 things that they like or the things that we, we but we want to we want to see God transform them so that the sin in their life and the struggles in their life and the temptations in their life are are things that they through, through the power of the Holy Spirit and through their love for Jesus Christ, are compelled to, to grow in. That's what love looks like. Love does not look like, oh, I love you, therefore I want you to be happy all the time. In fact, I want people I love to not be happy all the time. There are times when they're not happy, and I know it's good for them. Mm-hmm. It, it may make me feel sad also that they're not happy, but I know ultimately that that's what's best for them, and so I actually want that state of affairs because I know it causes change. Right. So let's just get rid of this idea That if you want to love me, you've got to love everything about me. The truth is that the people I love the most are the people who I want to see transformed the most. So there we go. All right. Now, she goes on and says, loving me with this kind of love. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, Yeah. No lover can easily uh, look on easily when he sees the one he loves preferring convenience to the good. Loving me with this kind of love is neither quick nor easy. So the kind of love that this guy's talking about. But knowledge and truth can help us both stand against the growing tide of moral capitulation, uh, giving in, right? Giving in to to society's view of morality. In light of this, here are seven things I wish you knew about my homosexuality. Now, again, the the title of this is seven things I wish my pastor knew about my homosexuality. To me, it's seven things that I wish Christians knew. Um, and, And so this is the first one, number one. I wish you knew that just because I didn't choose this orientation, it doesn't follow that I was born this way or that God created me gay. While genetics influence, while genetic influences these, genetics influences these traits, there is not a fixed predetermination. It is not hardwired like eye or skin color. Now, having said that, and she's right. The science says there's not a fixed predetermination. You are not guaranteed by your genetics to uh, have same-sex attraction, that's, et cetera. However, my point is that even if it was, it'd be no different than other genetic predeterminations that we have to um, work through. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, I don't even like talking about that argument because I think that it's a false, it's a red herring. Right. I can look back. She says again, I can look back and understand where it came from in my own life. Of course, others' experiences may be different from mine, but ultimately the etiology doesn't matter and where it came from isn't what's important. Same-sex sexual activity is outside the design and will of the good plan of God. To claim otherwise, otherwise requires ignoring scripture, historical Christian authority, and natural law. So I need help in living chastely, regardless of how my same-sex desires came to be. So she's saying, look, uh, I, just because I have the, these feelings, does not mean that it came from this, that or the other thing. And in fact, it doesn't matter what it came from, because God has made it clear what his design for sexual activity is. And I need help living that way. Living a holy and pure life sexually. It doesn't matter where it came from. So don't, don't come to me, is what she's saying is. Look, pastor, don't come to me. Or look, other Christian, don't come to me and say, well, I know that you had no choice over this, and it came this way, and it came that way, and therefore, you know, I'm going to encourage you in same-sex sexual activity. She's saying, who cares where it came from? We live in a fallen world. What I'm asking for is for you to act like a Christian, a Christ follower. You come to me and say, I love you, and I, and I have compassion for the fact that this isn't something you necessarily chose or wanted. Uh, at the same time, God has called you to this thing, and I'm going to hold you accountable on that. That's what she actually is saying she wants. This is what she wants from people. Um, Number two, I wish you knew a better way to help me honor my body by living in accord with the creator's design. I was born this way, female. God did create me a woman. Please don't fall into the Gnostic dualism that divides my spiritual life from the life I now live in my body. Christ Christ became incarnate. Christ became bodied humanly bodied. My very body is now part of his body, the temple of the Holy Spirit. To act against its design in same-sex sexual action harms the dignity of my body. For my homosexually attracted brothers, same-sex sex harms their bodies even more because of their physiological design and the physical effects of going against that design. These bodies will be raised again. They matter. So here she's talking about what we've been talking about for Weeks, right?
0: The dualism. The
1: dualism of mind and body. Do not try to have me separate my body from who I am, soul and spirit. Don't try to tell me that my body is not an important thing, because it is important. And Jesus proved that by being incarnated as a physical human being, dying and rising again bodily. That 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 your body has dignity, that's part of who you are as a person, and that same sex sexuality. Harms your body; um, it is it's a sin against your body. It harms the dignity of your body. And Romans one talks about um, about the dignity of the body being harmed through this kind of activity. Uh, and then she talks about for men, it's even worse. Of course, uh, the sexual acts uh, that that are synonymous or, or kind of the sine qua non, the without which not of, of same sex sexuality within men is even more dangerous than what it is within women. I'm not going to go into that um, right here in this podcast, but the point is, Hey, look, my body's going to be resurrected. It's going to be made new. It's actually important. My body actually matters. Don't tell me that it doesn't matter because I was born as a female and that's important and that's, and that's glorious and that's wonderful. And I should, and I should live in, in context with that.
0: Now I want to ask a question on what you just said. You said my body's going to be resurrected. Does that mean do you think that somehow uh, sexual sin, mm-hmm. bodily sin that we commit now, is going to affect the resurrection? No. Okay, so I just wanted to clarify that. No, because.
1: she's saying that she's saying the resurrection shows the importance of the body. Yes. Not that the sins against our body will be somehow uh, kept right, within right, the resurrection. Right, right, right. That, that's not at all what she's saying. Right, Her point about the body's being raised again. Is that they matter? that bodies matter? Yes. And so we shouldn't we shouldn't devalue bodies and say again she's she's fighting here against mind body dualism. She's yeah. saying don't treat my don't talk about my body as if it didn't matter. My body will be raised again, which proves that it matters. Christ became was became incarnate, right from a, from a spiritual to a human physical body, um, and and lived as a human being and died and rose again bodily, showing that the body is important. So stop. D trying to de-emphasize the body and say that my femaleness doesn't really matter. My physical femaleness doesn't really matter. Rather what's in my mind, what's in my feelings is what matters. And therefore I can use my body how I want. That's, that's what she's saying. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, but no, it's not what she's saying. I certainly am not saying that the whole point of the resurrection is all things will be made new. Um, so your body will be made perfected. And if you have, as I have, as, as many of us have sinned sexually, it will, it is not something that will be retained in your resurrected body. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's the point of forgiveness of sin. And that's the point of, of transformation. Number three, I wish you knew that you aren't helping me follow Jesus either by demanding that my attractions change or by not allowing them to change. Uh, before we go through that, let's, let's talk about what she means. She's saying for those who say, listen, you're not helping me become a Christ follower when you say, okay, you have same-sex attractions. And so um, now that you're a Christ follower, you need to instantly change those attractions. Like you're not allowed to have them anymore. Um, attractions aren't something that you like choose to have or don't have. They just come. The question is what you do with them, right? And so if you if you are same-sex attracted and you, uh, you know, for a guy, let's say, uh, say I'm same-sex attracted and see a guy walk by and he's attractive and I go, oh, that's attractive to me. Now my choice is, what do I do with that? If I'm going to lust or if I'm going to, if I'm just going to say, okay, that's true that I had an attraction, but I'm actually, I'm actually working to not give into those kinds of attractions. Then that's, then that's one thing. Okay. But if you come and say you must immediately stop those. So now you have to feel guilty every time that something that you had no control over comes as opposed to only feeling guilty for what you do with a thought, whether you take it captive or not, that's harmful. And at the same time, um, She's saying, you also shouldn't say, well, you have same-sex attractions and those will never change, so you just have to deal with it forever. She says, don't tell me, don't tell me that they have to change today and don't tell me that it's impossible for them to ever change. Both of those things are untrue and unhelpful. Mm-hmm. She says, no one can promise me that my attractions will change. Jesus certainly didn't. But don't deny me that possibility either, especially if I'm an adolescent, she writes parenthetically. Um, very important because we, what we know is, is that adolescents go through all kinds of different... Uh, Stuff, including sometimes having uh, sexual attractions or, or same sex attractions that come and go. Yeah. Um, and so telling an adolescent, you know, oh, I, hey, I've experienced some same sex attractions. You say, oh, well, that'll be you forever and you can never have that's a very dangerous thing to tell an adolescent. Um, both secular science and human experience attest to sexual fluidity and the potential for change, which is to say, and, and this is, and look, yes, yeah, science talks about this. There's actually some research on it that says, look, uh, unquestionably, I, I think I mentioned uh, from the book, Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy, um, she was citing some research that was like, you know, X number of people who identify as homosexual um, ha, it, it, report that in the last year they had, I don't remember what the percentage were, they're really high, at least one attraction to the opposite sex. And then for, I remember the stats on the same sex, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, those who, those who identify as heterosexual, um, I think it was 50% of women and... 25% of men had said that in the last year they had at least one same-sex attraction. And so the and and you know these studies and they're not christian studies or not you know or whatever they're saying look there is a sexual fluidity which is the same thing as saying people the world's broken and people sin. Mm-hmm. And we have a we have desires um and temptations that but, we give that James is very clear about what they are, right? Yeah. Even
0: ahead. that I don't even necessarily know that that means we sin. I don't know if. Well, I said there's temptation to sin. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah the the world is broken, and uh, our bodies and minds predispose us now to temptation.
1: Yeah, I mean, the fact is, is that first of all, let's be really clear. It's not a sin that something floats by your mind. <laughs> you know that you that you say, okay, uh, I I'm in the room with this person. They're the same gender as me, and all of a sudden I have an attraction. The question is, what do you do when that hits your mind? Right. Do you say, I shouldn't have this attraction. I need to focus on the truth that God's made me a man or a woman and that this person is the same gender as me and that that's an inappropriate thing. Or, uh, I'm married and I need to not be, you know, putting my attractions towards people that aren't my, uh, that aren't my spouse, regardless of what gender they right, are yeah. or whatever the case is. Right. Um, uh, you know, married men, uh, it's cliche that married men struggle with fidelity to their wives. Uh, you know, we see large instances, and and now I think that the instances are becoming much more even, men and women, um, who are unfaithful to their spouses. Um, mm-hmm. Look, that's a, that's a temptation, just like any other temptation, that they have every duty to, if it comes into their mind, to fight that. If my wife is out She's out doing something today. If she sees a, a man that's attractive, it's her job to go, okay, that, that guy's attractive to me um, and not go, okay, I'm going to start thinking about this guy right. and, and I'm going to go over to this guy and get his phone number and do it. You do have I'm, a problem with that? I, I would. Yeah. yeah. No. Um, I don't know. It depends yeah. how good looking he was. Um, <laughs> it's, it's obviously, you know, it's one thing to have, it's not a sin for her to be like, oh, the person's attractive. And let me be clear, recognizing that someone's attractive. I'm not talking about this whole, you hear people sometimes be like, well, I can look, but don't touch. Right, that's right. that's nonsense. That's uh-huh. What that's saying is I can lust all I want as long as I don't physically act You know, with that person as if right. they wanted to physically act with you anyway. Um, that's sin. You're talking about lusting there. I'm not talking about lusting. I'm talking about before that would ever happen, just being like, okay, there's an attractive person there. My job is to not lust. My job is to not follow um, where sin might go and and look at this person as anything other than a child of God created in his image and likeness. Um, and and that's that's what we're called to do. So yes, there is temptation. There is so on. There is quote unquote sexual fluidity, which means anybody can be tempted to almost anything at any time. Um, and so to tell someone that because they're dealing with a particular temptation, same sex attraction, that they'll never stop feeling that is wrong. Or to tell them that that they're going to immediately stop feeling that is also wrong. All right. Number four, I wish you knew a better way to define change. Quote unquote, over many years, my experience of same sex attraction went from being a continual fire to an occasional flicker. A man who still experiences same sex attraction, but is happily married to a woman where he saw no possibility of a heterosexual relationship before has indeed changed. Yeah, I mean, I think that that stands for itself. Mm-hmm. People who who want to say that change is only never ever experiencing a single uh, same sex sexual desire when we already know that even heterosexual and married people sometimes, uh, in fact, I in think large instances feel that.
0: I think we view it as you know it's it's a switch. Either you're you have a heterosexual switch that or the right. the f- switch is flipped to heterosexual or homosexual, right? And And that's not the reality of our brains.
1: Even those words I have a really hard time with because trying to define people, see, I don't define myself as heterosexual or homosexual. What I define myself as as human. Mm -hmm. And so the question for me isn't, am I do I have this attraction or that attraction? The question for me is, what has God called all humans into? And am I living consistent with that? Right. Right. Am I having sex only within the context, you know, mentally, physically, whatever, only within the context of my marriage to my wife? for life. Uh Am I doing that? If yes, then I'm living sexually morally. If no, then I'm living sexually immorally. You don't, I don't need identifications as heterosexual, homosexual, whatever, whatever would come into my mind at any time. is not going to, I don't make my identity based on that. in fact, nobody did until, you know, about 150 years ago that, you know, back in the day, they had people who there was men who would have sex with men and women and, you know, whatever, young boys and and all this kind and they never thought of, of it as like an identity it was something that you did or didn't do, right? Right. Um, It's this identity, sexual identities and orientations, and like you say, a switch that you're turning on and off. That's a new idea, and it's not a Christian one. Mm -hmm. The Christian idea is we're all from a fallen world. We're all broken. We all struggle with uh, sin. We all struggle with the the desires of the flesh, and Christ is there to help us do the things that are right, because we also all know what's right. You either do what's right or you don't do what's right. You're not a thing that you've defined, whatever that is. And that can be with gender. That can be with sexuality. All these things apply in both cases. Number five, I wish you knew that I should be credited with the same moral agency and responsibility as everyone else in the Christian community. If unmarried heterosexuals are called to celibacy and are presumed in Christ to have the power to live out his commands, then so should I be. To treat me according to a different standard is to lower my dignity before God. I too am called to be holy. So I talked to I, I actually um, read that one on Sunday also, mm-hmm. and so if you've listened to that, I don't want to go too much uh, more into this one, but it's basically saying, look don't don't act like because I have this particular sin problem that I'm not called to the same kind of holiness." in Christ, which is, if I can't be married to a person of the opposite sex for life and be committed to them, then celibacy is the holy call for me, period. And to act like that's not true is to act like I am not valuable and don't have dignity before God. Mm -hmm. That's powerful, in my opinion. Um, Number six, I wish you knew that God teaches more about homosexual conduct than don't. He does teach that, but the truth about the body, sex, and the design of telos of creation design and telos purpose, right. Um, of creation reveals so much more here. She's just saying, look, I wish that we did better, a better job of teaching about the value of the body, about the, about the purpose of creation, about things from a way bigger perspective than just the do's and don'ts of sexual morality. And I could not agree with her more. I mean, that's what we do here on this podcast. That's what we do often on Sunday mornings. That's what we do. When I used to run the contemplate session, uh, you know, uh, skeptics forms, all these kinds of things, you know, we want people to understand things from a way bigger context than just the list of do's and don'ts. So I'm totally with her on that. Number seven, I wish you knew that it honors neither God nor me to apologize for his plan or design. I appreciate empathy for the pain my misdirected longings may cause, but God is not arbitrarily withholding something good from me. He is showing me what leads to life and human flourishing and is keeping me from that which will harm me. Let love be without dissimulation. And that's scripture. Love me and tell me the truth. So this is great. And She's basically saying, look, uh, it doesn't honor God or me when you apologize for God's blind. I'm sorry that God's asked you to do this. I'm sorry that, you know, I'm sorry that this is what scripture says and that you're embarrassed for scripture and whatever.
0: That shows that the person who's apologizing doesn't trust God. Right. It's kind of like if a police officer were to apologize to someone they were citing for an infraction that they didn't believe in, basically. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Well, and, and, and in this case, she's saying, look, it, it doesn't just dishonor God. It dishonors me. Because what you're basically saying is, is that I'm sorry that you're not you know, uh, made in such a way or whatever capable right. okay. of, of living up to what's in Scripture. It's, it, both things are being said to a person when you act like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and she's like, look, God is not arbitrarily withholding something good from me. He, Just like he is with you, he's showing me what human flourishing and life looks like. Just tell the truth. That's mm-hmm. what you're Don't, don't, you know, try to twist or change the truth or soften the truth. Just tell the truth and tell it in love. And the last, last part here she says, "May I make two requests? Continue to love me, but remember that you cannot be more merciful than God. It isn't mercy to affirm same-sex acts as good. That's a big sentence here, and and I think the the crux of this article. It isn't mercy." to affirm same-sex acts as good. It isn't mercy to say that it's good to be in same-sex sexual relationships. That's not mercy. That's not love. That's not kindness. That's not compassion. Practice compassion according to the root meaning of compassion. Suffer with me. Don't compromise truth. Help me to live in harmony with it. I'm asking you to help me take up my cross and follow Jesus. And so I I love the article. I love what she has to say uh, from her personal narrative, which is, look, I'm not looking for you to make excuses for God, to make excuses for the Bible, um, to pretend like God didn't say what he says, to think that you're more merciful than he is, uh, to to essentially twist the world to try to fit my broken desires. Um, and we shouldn't do this for any sin. Like, oh, I'm sorry that you struggle with gossip. And, you know, maybe the Bible doesn't really mean that. Or maybe it was, you know, it, trying to like find some hermeneutic or some way of interpreting scripture that... That would make it seem like, well, that they were talking about something different back then or whatever, to try to twist the Bible to match somebody's sin because you don't want to be confrontational about their sin. She's saying don't just knock all that off. Recognize that I gotta take up my cross and follow Jesus just like you do. And to pretend like I don't, or to try to make it easier for me because society's pushing you in that direction is to dishonor God and to dishonor me. Mm -hmm. And and I can't say much more. This applies, in my opinion, to same-sex attraction, it applies to transgenderism, but here's the deal, it applies to every sin. We do this right. with all kinds of stuff. We're so unwilling to do the hard thing, to love the hard way. Right. And so we and so we wink at a million sins because we don't have the the courage. I was going to use a different word, but it wouldn't have been podcast friendly. We don't have the courage the wherewithal, the gumption to stand up and say, "I love you. I love you intensely and passionately. But I'm not going to pretend like the thing that you're saying is who you are, or a part of you, or what you is okay. Mm-hmm. You know, whether that's whether that's abusing alcohol or abusing people or uh, or same sex desire or opposite sex desire that's being lived out in the way that you should, or whatever. Like I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to hold you accountable to. It. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to suffer with you. I recognize that these are real temptations, these are real feelings, whatever it is." That's the call as Christians. We got to knock off this, this uh weakness, this lack of love, this, this wishy-washy Christianity in water, as as C.S. Lewis referred to, kind of a wishy-washy Christianity. That's got to go. And also at the same time as that's rejected, you have to reject the harsh, the us versus them, the, these people with these kinds of sins are really bad or or you know, hellfire and brimstone on, brimstone on everybody. That's got to go away too. Instead, we got to sit in the middle and say, I love you. I care about you. I'll walk with you. I don't reject you. I accept you as a human being, as a child of God made in his image and likeness. And I believe that he has called you to holiness, scriptural, biblical holiness, just like he's called me to it. And I'm going to help you get there. Um, that's what that's our job in discipling each other. Uh, anything you want to add?
0: No, I think, I think uh, just go read the article if if you still want to do more thinking on this because it's a great article. Yeah,
1: we'll have that in the show notes. Um, Gene C. Lloyd, what was the name of it again? Let's see here. Seven things I wish my pastor knew about my homosexuality. Okay, well let's pray and we'll we'll hit you up again next time. Father, I just thank you for. Gene Lloyd, I thank you for Hunter. I thank you for myself. I thank you for this podcast. I thank you for uh, the opportunity to walk through difficult things. Um, Lord, we thank you for our brothers and sisters who struggle with all sin, whatever it is. Uh, homosexuality, uh, uh, transgender, uh, you know, gender identity, gender dysphoria, all, those, all these issues, they're not, they're not special uh, in the sense of, of, of sin. They're all just rebellion against your design like every sin is, like pride like like gluttony, like like opposite sex, sexual sin, like all of these things. Lord, as you well know, all of these things fight against the design of what you have for us, Lord. And I pray that all of us would be feel called to holiness and all of us, whatever that means for us, whatever we have to overcome, we overcome it in you, not in ourselves. If we're struggling, for those who are struggling with alcohol use, for those who are struggling with drug use, for those who are struggling with with gossip, for those who are struggling with food, for those who are struggling with uh, uh Um, any kind of rebellion, any kind of sin, sexual sin, whatever it is, Lord, pornography use, addiction, all of these things. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would would put our trust and our hope in your Holy Spirit, that we would get the help that we need, that we would be discipled by the people who love you, that we would look to the body of Christ, that we would be honest about where we are, that we would look for accountability in our lives, and that we would grow and let you transform us the renewing of our mind, Lord, as we as we make our bodies living sacrifices. That means if we have to give up sexual desires that we have, then we have to. If that means we have to give up desires for food, if that means we have to give up desires for alcohol or for drugs or for whatever it is that we would give those up and that we would not be conformed to the world, would be transformed by the renewing of our minds, Lord, and that you would do that and that and that we would help each other do that as we are your body, as as we are here as a church. For those who who listen to this podcast as an alternative to going to church, Lord, I pray that you would that you would just convict their heart that they need to be in a fellowship in a good strong church where people will help them because we do not overcome these things on our own or just us in our bible or anything like that that your body is here on earth as a powerful force against the darkness that your kingdom you've already won and that we need to be in relationship with one another. And so I pray that they would do that too, Lord. We we love the people um, of your church, and we love the people outside of your church. We pray that those who don't know you, who are lost, would come
0: to salvation and knowledge of you. In your name, amen. Well, that does it for this episode. Thanks for listening along as we walked through the points in this article. This is such a difficult topic our society is walking through, and as Christians, we have an obligation to walk through it in a godly way that is loving and compassionate. Again, I have to recommend uh, going and reading the article for yourself. Um, it's a good one. If you have any questions or comments, please share them with us. We'd love to engage in conversations, whether that be your own experiences, difficulties, or if you just don't like what we've said. You know, we're open to talking about it. It's what we do, and we think it's absolutely worth. Uh, talking about. Okay, that's episode 36. Be sure to check out our website. If you haven't yet, Uh, you can learn all about us at www.axechemist.org. And if you haven't yet visited us in person, and you're in the Portland metro area, consider this an invitation to come be with us on Sunday morning. We have a main service at 11am at Shehillah Middle School, and it's typically done by 1230. And thanks for listening. And we will talk to you again next time.